Readers, and welcome to Episode 9 of Lost the Plot, the Tinted Edges monthly podcast all about books. I'm your host, Ang Harrod, and today we're going to be talking all about street libraries. We also have a special guest on the show who's going to chat to us all about his own street library. But first, books for the world. Now, the biggest story for Books for the World this month is Books for the World Kitchener Street Library, but we'll get into that a bit later on in the show. However, at the moment, a huge fundraiser is going on. If you're a fan of author Patrick Rothfuss even at all, you surely have heard of his charity World Builders. Every year, they run a huge fundraiser to raise money for Heifer International, an organization that targets poverty in developing countries. Pat Rothfuss usually gets some huge names on board for this campaign, and this year lots of stretch goals have already been smashed, including getting author Neil Gaiman to read Edgar Allan Poe's poem, The Raven, on video. Another huge aspect of this campaign is that for every uh, $10 US you donate, you go into a lottery to win, you guessed it, books! Pat Rothfuss usually donates heaps of his own books, and there are always lots of special editions and signed editions donated by other authors, and there is a very special edition of Neil Gaiman's book, Stardust, that just keeps on coming back. The fundraiser is on for just a couple more days, so to go into the running to win cool gear, donate now. Then, at much more locally, is the Giving Tree that is currently up at Asia Bookroom. You might remember we spoke with Sally, the owner of Asia Bookroom, in episode 8. The Giving Tree will be up until Christmas Eve at Asia Bookroom in Macquarie in Canberra. Money donated goes towards paying teachers' wages in Nepal, and the amount of money you donate corresponds to the coloured decoration that you then hang on the tree. And you can find out more about these campaigns in the show notes. First up in book news was NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month. Anybody can sign up to this website and commit to writing around 1,667 words a day to reach the goal of 50,000 words to complete a novel within a month. This year I signed up for the third time, and for the third time I failed to reach my goal. Um, I'm sure I'll get around to finishing one of my novel ideas eventually. Then, the Prime Minister's Literary Award for 2016 was announced, and the joint winners were Charlotte Wood for her novel The Natural Way of Things, and Lisa Gorton for her book, The Life of Houses. However, there were two big themes in November's book news, Canberra book events and film adaptations. So during the month of November, I went to not one, not two, but three amazing author events. The first was going to see best-selling author Jodie Pico at the National Library of Australia. The event was absolutely sold out, and because I was a super keen bean, and I was there incredibly early, which if anybody knows me is really quite unlike me, I managed to wangle myself a seat in the very front row, and I live blogged the event furiously on the Tinted Edges Facebook page. Pico was launching her new book, Small Great Things, and was a fantastic, eloquent speaker. Famous for her novels that examine tricky social issues with their twisty plots, Pico has taken her craft to a whole new level. She signed a copy of my book and even took the time to chat to me about the movement Black Lives Matter. The next big event was seeing acclaimed Australian chef and cookbook writer Stephanie Alexander speak at Muse Bookshop in Kingston. She was very passionate about teaching children to grow and appreciate food and was also promoting her new cookbook, The Cook's Table. Finally, I got to see Melina Marchetto, famous author of the Australian novel Looking for Alla Brandy, also at Muse Bookshop in Kingston. 
She was touring her new novel, Tell the Truth, Shame the Devil, but she also talked about what it was like writing in, in different genres and writing about Ita Italian identity in Australia. Melina Marchetta also signed some books for me, and I was absolutely thrilled that she liked my name so much she wrote it down in her notebook. As I said earlier, there are so, so many incredible film adaptations coming up. Lin-Manuel Miranda has been slated as the producer of the film and TV series adaptation of Patrick Rothfuss's fantasy series, The King Killer Chronicles, which, I must note, is not finished yet, so hopefully we don't have another Game of Thrones situation on our hands. Miranda is well known for his stage musical Hamilton, so I think we can expect there is going to be a lot of music in this series, which, of course, is in keeping with Rothfuss's main character's talents. Filming has also started on the Netflix miniseries adaptation of Margaret Atwood's book Alias Grace, which is based on a true story. I remember this being a bit of a hard book to get through, with Grace not being a particularly likeable character, so I'm very interested to see what the adaptation turns out like. Then, of course, the movie we all, well, at least I, have been waiting for was released in November. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I went to watch it in Premium Lounge with a really good friend of mine, and boy was I prepared. I wore a Fantastic Beasts t-shirt, I picked us up some Hogwarts Houses drink bottles, I had Hufflepuff, he had Slytherin, and I even managed to find us some jelly slugs. Apart from being maybe a beat too slow, the movie was really enjoyable, and I will be seeing it again with another friend after I won some tickets and a copy of the screenplay in a Hatchet Australia contest. However, some fans of the Harry Potter franchise were not happy with one of the casting choices. So, spoiler alert for the next 30 seconds. Spoilers, spoilers, block your ears. Okay, so the character of Grindelwald, Dumbledore's one-time friend slash lover turned dark wizard, is being played by Johnny Depp, who had a cameo at the end of the film. Johnny Depp has been the target of overwhelming criticism after his ex-wife Amber Heard accused him of domestic violence. Um, J.K. Rowling, however, has defended the casting, and it looks like Depp is here to say, stay, though I personally think that Colin Farrell did a far better job of playing the character. Alright, spoilers over. Anyway, so J.K. Rowling has also been in the news, but this time for her kindness. So unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably heard of the Syrian humanitarian crisis that has been worsening over the last few months. A young girl aged seven years old called Bana, assisted by her mom Fatima, has set up a Twitter account and tweets every day about what it's like living in a war zone. Bana, like other civilians in Aleppo, has been losing morale. J.K. Rowling and her agent organized to send all of the Harry Potter series to Bana as ebooks to help keep the little girl positive. And this was a really wonderful gesture, but it made me think, why doesn't J.K. Rowling do this more often and send more of her books to kids who are struggling? But then I thought maybe she does, and they just don't catch as much media attention as this time. In another example of author solidarity, as well as another story of authors being persecute, persecuted for their writing, which we always seem to have every month in this podcast, Margaret Atwood has written to imprisoned Turkish novelist Asli Edrigan. 15th of November was the day of the imprisoned writer, and the organization Pen International has highlighted five cases of persecuted authors around the world. Each was sent a message of support by another author. And it just wouldn't be book news without a book crime story. And I love a good book crime story, especially when it involves naughty lawyers. 
A criminal defense solicitor from Arizona, USA, has been suspended from practicing for four years after publishing a book about one of his client's cases, a high-profile case where a woman was charged and convicted for murdering her boyfriend. Um, Lawrence Kirk Nomi has agreed to the suspension, which also admits that he violated lawyers' ethics rules by revealing confidential client conversations and inadmissible evidence in his book. And apparently he wasn't the only person who wrote a book about this case. One of the police officers wrote a book as well. Then finally, the Karimba Public Library in Sydney has reported that they have received a book back that was 40 years 10 months and 19 days overdue. This book was Apple to the Core, The Unmaking of the Beatles, and its due date was 16th of November, 1975. I actually think I have a library book that's about 10 years overdue in my name. I lost a copy of Moby Dick, and because my sister worked at the local library, she kept wiping the fines for me. So maybe I should try and find it or donate a new copy to the library because the guilt is still haunting me and I don't want to beat that 40-year record. If you want to find out about any of these stories, check out the links in the show notes. So, street libraries. What is a street library? Or, as they're also known, a little free library. Well... They are a tiny little library that you can install at the front of your home where people from the neighborhood or from anywhere in the world really can turn up, come take a book or leave a book of their own. You can be as organized as you like and you can make your own library, you can upcycle or you can buy a street library. Now it's been a little while since I've done a book experiment and after hearing about street libraries I thought that this could be a fun experiment with, hopefully, reasonable chances of success. Originally, I planned to go to one of the street library workshops in Sydney, but it's a bit of a hike from Canberra and plus the cost of the course, though I have to say it looks like people end up with some really beautiful little street libraries from that course. So I decided to have a crack at making my own. Unfortunately, I have zero woodworking skills whatsoever, so actually building one from scratch was really out of the question. The skills that I do have include shopping and painting, so I went to the green shed next to one of the tips in Canberra to see if I could find myself a suitable box with a door. I poked around, wondering if maybe I could repurpose a microwave or something like that, but then my partner pointed out something far better. A tiny little white cupboard with a single door made out of sturdy wood. $30 later, and I was in business. I took my little library home and, like most of my projects, it sat around my house waiting for me to get to it. Eventually, after plenty of time to think, I got around to painting the front panels so they look like a little bookshelf. I love rabbits and I have two pet rabbits, so I decorated them with the titles of books about rabbits. There were a few other steps involved, like ordering a registration sticker from the Street Library website, finding a good paint to use to seal the artwork, deciding on the name, and then getting some bookmarks from my lovely dad, and then making a launch party event. But by far the trickiest part was mounting the library. So I decided to go have a look at what some other people in Canberra do, and that is how I met John. I'm here this morning with John, who is the owner of the first ever street library or little free library in Canberra. And John is here this morning and he's going to be helping me to install my own street library. But before we get on to that, um, he agreed to have a bit of a chat with me. So good morning, John. How are you doing? Yeah, hi. Thank, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. 
Um, so what got you interested in street libraries? I saw it when I was working at the National Library and I thought when I leave, I'm going to make one of these. So you, you weren't satisfied with your library involvement? You wanted to go on and have your own little library? Uh, yeah, well, I never thought of it that way, but that yeah. sounds like a really good idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, so, you made, so you made your own one. What did you make it out of? It's made out of recycled materials. When my son left home, there was his bed, and his bed was turned into a little free library. <laughs> and uh, was it difficult to put together? Did it take a long time? Uh, no, because it's about the width of a bed, and all the holes are already drilled, <laughs> and I used the same holes again to make the library, the box that makes the library, yes. And to give you an idea of just how successful John's street library design is, um, can you tell us a little bit about your neighbour's library? Uh, uh, the bed was had enough material in it to make two, and the neighbour liked the library so much that he took the second library and they put it up next door. So we've got two libraries next to each other in the street. Yeah, yeah and it's absolutely beautiful. So if you're ever in Canberra, dear listeners, you should definitely go visit it. There are little seats to sit on. There's two libraries on either side of the road, and they're just exquisitely designed. Um, so... Six Coburn Street, Curtin. Oh, there we go. Six Coburn Street in Curtin. Thank you very much. And so do you get many visitors? Yes. we get. It's, it's always being used. And on the website for Little Free Libraries, there's a says, if you're dropping off books or taking books, you're welcome to knock on the front door and say hi and tell us why you're dropping them off or why you're taking them. <laughs> and you should definitely do that because John is very friendly. So what kind of, have you noticed, what kind of books do people like to take and what do they like to leave behind? Everything. We, I, we don't actually snoop and keep a track of what people are taking. Oh, don't you? I would definitely snoop. <laughs> <laughs> I would but, definitely snoop. <laughs> but, but I know that people come when they're going off on holiday and they want something to read. They'll check them out. And I find it very interesting because we encourage people to leave books that they've enjoyed reading. Yep. So the collection of books that's there is often interesting books that other people have enjoyed reading. Yeah. And do you get many children who come by? Uh, do you get many there children? There are children books? going up and down the street, but there's not many children's books being dropped off or oh, taken. Okay, maybe I've got a bit of a niche market for I my one. Yes, I maybe think I so. Could do I don't know how you like could get that. that going, but I don't know. I think I, hope I might. You do. Yeah. yeah, me too. Me too. So, what do you think is the best thing about having a street library? The sense of community that it's built up with the neighbours. We were surprised how much the neighbours have come across and said, this is a fantastic idea. What we did when we started, we had a, a street party. Did so you? The, 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 box, <laughs> the, the, the library's empty and you invite your neighbours to come and put a book in it. Oh. So then they have feel a sort of sense of ownership. That's a wonderful idea. Maybe I should do that. I'm getting lots of, lots of really good ideas out of today. Um, and so do you have any tips for our listeners who might want to look into making a street library for themselves? Yes, if you just type in on Google, Little Free Library, you'll get lots of tips. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us today, John. That was brilliant. Thank you, Annie Harris. was John who was the first person in Canberra to have a street library and you can check out the details of his little free library in the links below. 
Now, I took his advice and I have made an event to launch our street library. You can check out the Books for the World Facebook page for all the details and it would be great if some of the Canberra listeners could make it. So I read six books during November and some I enjoyed more than others. Uh, the first was The English Class by Yang Yu, which was the set book for the Asia Bookroom book club I talked about in episode eight. Yes, that was the one that I had not finished in time. Um, it was a hard, bleak book to read and look, I really struggled with it. Then was Small Great Things by Jodie Picoult, which I finished in time to see her speak, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, a fictionalization of a story about a black nurse who was told not to touch a white supremacist's baby. I was actually really surprised at how much I enjoyed this book and how much it made me think. And I think it's arguably her best book yet. Next was this year's Hugo winner, uh, The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemisin. It was a really original premise. People who have the ability to calm tectonic activity in a sort of really bleak and unusual world and there were some really progressive themes in it and I really enjoyed it. And finally I managed to sorry finally I managed to read a graphic novel that had been on my radar since I first got into graphic novels, The Incredible Holocaust Story Mouse by Art Spiegelman. Then was The Underwhelming Fight Like a Girl by Australian feminist writer Clementine Ford, a book that was a little too self-involved for my liking. And finally, to round off the month was the Miles Franklin Award-winning book, Black Rock, White City by A.S. Patrick. A fantastic book about refugees overcoming trauma wrapped in a psychological thriller. And you can read full reviews of each book on the Tinted Edges website. All right, readers, that's it from me. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode in the new year.